0: Hello, this is Corey Warden with AOHP and you're listening to AOHP's Caring for Healthcare Professionals podcast. So today we have an exciting episode. We're going to be talking with Brandon Hody, who is the administrator for the public sector practice specialty and also is a proud designee of a certified healthcare safety professional as well as a CSP. So we're going to talk today about his life and experiences in the exciting world of healthcare safety. So Brandon, how are you doing today?
1: Good, Cory, thanks for having me on, I appreciate it.
0: Oh, sir, thanks for joining us. So if you would, just to kind of give the listeners uh, intro, if you could tell us a little about yourself and your career and where it's taken you and your role with ASSP.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, my career has uh, started off with a company called Concurrent Technologies Corporation, and uh, that was when I graduated with my bachelor's degree in safety science, as they called it then, I believe they renamed it to like, a, you know, something more appropriate, environmental safety, occupational health, something from Indiana University of Pennsylvania, um, otherwise known as IEP. Gohawks. Hawks. And um, so I started with CTC, which is in my hometown of Johnstown, Pennsylvania, somehow, luckily, uh, about I'll say t- almost 10 years ago now, nine and a half years ish. And uh, essentially it was a role in industrial hygiene. And overall, Consulting is what they do, uh, professional scientific services, and largely for the federal government. And so um, I'm kind of a jack of all trades without ever really trading positions. So I've been with CTC that whole time up until uh, right now today. Um, But as I said, we do consulting and we do it for the federal government. So um, we do a lot of, uh, you know, a variety of things as it comes with consulting from, you know, anything clients pop up. But with the federal government, that includes uh the entire Department of Defense. And uh sometimes I'm not sure people grasp the diversity within the Department of Defense. And that's where a little bit of my healthcare background comes from. Um one and wanting to be a little more adept in it because my wife's a nurse, uh, but also because uh the, the entire DOD has a healthcare system, right? Um, not just for veterans and, and veteran healthcare. Which people probably associate most with it, but uh, you know, regular local community hospitals and health clinics that serve uh, people within, of course, the military, but also civilians that work for the federal government. So uh, you know, almost every base that we go to has some level of healthcare, whether that be a small clinic, uh, a remote support clinic, or uh, an entire community hospital right there on the base. Um, so that's kind of where a lot of my experience comes from but um, as it pertains to assp back actually i want to say 2013 it was right after i started a year in um, i work with lori schroth who is the previous administrator um, just before me for the public sector practice specialty but one of the people i believe i interviewed with when i first got my job at ctc Um, and had already been on ASSP through another coworker of ours who had also been a previous administrator of the public sector. So you need, you see how it kind of trickles down and they, they suck everybody in, right? But, um, you know, that's when I started with them. Uh, I started with the public sector because of course we work for the federal government. Uh, the public sector practice specialty used to include the military at the time. There was a separate military branch uh, until that grew and expanded and became its own practice specialty. And so it really fit a lot of of what we did as consultants. And I actually started, I believe, as either secretary or um, I think they suckered me back then into content coordinator where, uh, you know, you were in charge of the publication when when each practice specialty was maintaining its own publication at the time. Ours was was perspectives. And uh, so I started out managing that and just kind of, uh, you know, worked my way through different positions in the committee, assisting until I ended up. Running for administrator and being here where I am now. Cool,
0: that's awesome. Yeah, I definitely hear you you know, having served in the Air Force, I spent um, spent a lot of time on Guam and we have a Air Force clinic, which is you know kind of like a private physician's office with a couple of providers. and then down the way there's the Naval hospital, which is a full- on you know acute care hospital and all of those fall under the TRICARE system. And then, of course, now that I'm I'm a civilian again, I have VA coverage, so I've definitely seen all that. And I definitely do a great job keeping those places safe. Um, and as you know, military or not, you know, healthcare is any number, of, any number of hazards that exist on any given day. So it definitely requires a distinct culture to prevent those types of incidents. So within that, Obviously, you've seen a lot in your years um what type of hazards do you think you deal with the most on an everyday basis?
1: um that's probably the unique thing with working with the department of Defense and the and the diversity it comes with uh is it really varies so i you know if I had to pick something, I work a lot with the Air Force side actually we have um you know people on our program on our contract that are responsible for the different services and they're usually Either you know prior service themselves or had retired from that service, and so I work a lot with the Air Force. Uh, I have no no personal service myself with the Air Force or or anybody else in the military, but um, because of that, I do go to a lot of Air Force sites and a lot of the logistics complexes where they do basically an entire overhaul of aircraft. And so, you know, that comes with a range of things. One of the bigger things we've been trying to Help sites get a grasp on is toxic and heavy metals and you know regulated areas, especially with you know the the maintenance or uh, overhaul of specific parts, you know when you're grinding metal, um, grinding off paint, uh, especially because in the military, you know as, as compared to private industry where you have a lot of places that can uh, you know try to substitute and make something work, there are mill specs for things in the military, right? And mill specs for the warfighters and aircraft and you know you can't change from some mil spec paints, right? Because of the amount of corrosion resistance that you need and uh, you know, the ability to, you know, sustain, you know, an adequate finish within a war edition. And so the paints themselves, uh, it's kinda harder to get away from chromates and chromium and things like that. So Uh, You find a lot of places that you're not going to get away from that, and so you have to deal with how do we manage that hazard best to limit the exposure that our people have to, uh, you know, some of those heavy metals associated with the paints or the surfaces themselves and and the processes that we have to go through to maintain them.
0: Yeah, That's interesting. You know, it's interesting you say that. In the Air Force, I was in emergency management, which means the first couple years I was a a counter chemical biological radiological and nuclear responder and so within that context we dealt with a lot of hazmats so if any, any of the aircraft had any type of major accident you had not only the the situation with of course the the pilot and air crew safety but you also had potential composite material and things like hydrazine and all different types of things that became part of that part of that crash site and yeah. then of course we dealt with um, you know chemical biological hazards from the enemy. So we had to deal with things like VX and GB and whatnot when we were training. So it's kind of funny. You'll 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 probably enjoy this. Is on the first day when I was an instructor for the for the new airman coming through the training school. You know of course we have the hazard communication program, which military or not it still applies. And so we're going through that and we say, you know, at, at some point in your training you may or not be exposed to you know VX nerve agent and GB nerve agent to watch these poor kids' eyes bug
1: out and they think they were going to kill. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, uh. you know, that's the number one thing. Um, you know, we go through these places, you know, for example, especially in the Air Force, you're working on aircraft and you're pulling these aircraft into the hangars. And, you know, the way the military is, is structured, a lot of people think the government blows money. And I tell you what, if they blew money, we'd have much better facilities for people to work at when um, you know, when we talk about performing some of the work that they do in, and you know, pull aircraft and these hangars that have been around since World War Two, where, it, you know, you try to do as much as you can for fall protection. And I mean, it's just multi millions of dollars just to even try to retrofit a facility to be able to be on top of an aircraft and have something overhead to provide you the fall protection, you know, uh, aside, of course, you know, buying some sort of separate device or stand or something, almost like a crane, right, That can lower an employee down onto a, to an aircraft, but um, you know it's funny that one of the biggest excuses they would give us all the time is, well, oh, we're military unique <laughs> right, which exempts you from OSHA standards right and I was like, nah, not not what we're doing here, right, not what we're talking about here. there's nothing different from what we're doing right now compared to what Delta's doing on their aircraft, <laughs> so um it's it's funny when you you know, mentioned Hascom, applying whether or not you're you're military. Well, a lot of things do, and sometimes they always try to say, pull that military card and say, hey, no, this doesn't apply to us.
0: Yeah, it's funny how it works out, but yeah, I know that y'all do a great job, and I I had an extremely positive experience in the military myself. Um, Speaking of which, um, I know that the Air Force, they're actually working with us right now on our COVID-19
1: vaccination site. So they're doing a great job out there every day as well. But- um, oh, Good, good. I know, um, you know, in the time to tie into that too, it's funny cause when you, when, like I said, you know, there's not really something that I would say I work with most. That's the the hazard, toxic and hazardous materials and heavy metals and things like that come to my head because it's definitely one of the most dangerous and hardest hardest for a lot of places, especially when you talk about not having the money to upgrade a lot of your facilities across the DOD. to to retrofit right and completely control the best that you can but um you know the second to that probably is is army medcom right with the medical command which is all going to go over to the defense health agency eventually a lot of the hospitals and things but um you know that's where i'm constantly at is a new new medcom site a new hospital a new clinic uh you know and it's not much different right they deal with all the same things that any other hospital clinic out there in private industry probably deals with aside from, uh, you know, your n- unique places where you may get, uh, you know, military unique exposures that people have that you have to treat. So yeah, that's that's probably the other biggest thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah, there's definitely a lot going on there. So within that, you know, you've obviously done a lot with a lot of different hazards and a lot of different locations and personnel. So what would you say if if you were going to, you know, you were going to present to to somebody else, what would you say are some of your greatest hits as far as, you know, programs that you developed or hazard controls you implemented or things that you've advocated for and been successful with? What, what would you say about that?
1: Oh, man. So a large variety. So what, what we do on our contract specifically, safety management systems, the one that I work primarily on when I'm not doing other, you know, small side projects for CTC. And so, uh, you know, plug in whatever other acronym for people calling it. We call it safety management systems and what we do, but, you know, safety and health management system, occupational health and safety management system, you know, whatever people are calling it, uh, we help implement those across the DOD. And so there, there's a the range of where people are within the process of trying to become recognized or accredited or certified or approved for some sort of management system. And you know that starts with people that are just getting started and need to build up their programs and things from, you know, from the start, all the way to the people that are, uh, you know, OSHA VPP star sites. And the next time OSHA comes in, they need to really prove how they've improved upon their program, not just maintain the same level of effort. And that's where we get a lot of uh, providing assistance to people that are just kind of plateauing, right, and trying to figure out how do I get better from here and do things better from here and we learn a lot you know greatest hits wise there are things that we try to do to help organizations get better but then of course we go across the whole DOD we find things that others have done Uh, and part of our job is to carry that as far as we can and spread it and uh, you know see if it can help another site do something with it. the biggest thing in a lot of what we do is we focus on a lot of employee knowledge, right? How do the base level, uh, I don't want bottom of the barrel always seems derogatory, but you know what I mean? Like the, the lowest possible employee within the organization with the least amount of authority, how do you get that person to understand, uh, you know, safety in general or uh, the things that you do within your management system or your programs and processes? Um, to make safety better, to make the workplace a better place and have them understand that at the same time. And I think that's where a lot of our, our probably the hits that we recommend come from. Um, things like uh, passport programs, which is a big one within OSHA VPP and a big one that we have some sites implement. And that is where maybe you'll put um, some involvement activities, right? You want an employee involved in something. Uh, and you'll list a couple of different things within this passport. You'll put some different questions uh, that you want them to find answers to within the passport. And this thing, I mean, some organizations grow it to 40-plus questions large. And the employee's job is to go through, look at those questions, find the answer within the workplace, whether that be with their supervisor or a particular program that they have or a safety bulletin board, right, or somewhere where they can find the answer, uh, participate in activities and do things. Like, uh, you know, one might say, get with your supervisor to do an inspection. Uh, And then they assist the supervisor with like a work area, site-specific safety and health, like self-inspection kind of thing. Uh, And those things, those programs, when implemented the right way, and and when I say implemented the right way, we're talking about how do you emphasize to get people to do it. Um, A lot of the times that's incentives, right? Giving them a reason to do it. Otherwise, um, sometimes people think that has to be tied to monetary incentive or getting time off or some sort of expensive number of, of you know, things that you can hand out. But sometimes it's things that as long as you have the right commitment from your leaders can be as simple as completing it, helping somebody's performance appraisal at the end of the year, right? A process that we already have in place that provides value that doesn't necessarily cost you more money. Um, but those programs, I've seen organizations where you go from you know, safety being the safety manager's job or the safety office's job and nobody else really knowing anything except for, hey, let's default to safety manager. Learning a little bit more uh, and then you find out that these employees know almost anything, right? Uh, they, they gain such an extensive amount of knowledge uh, that you can't walk through the workplace. You, you know, you ever develop those safety eyes where uh, I go to the grocery store and with my wife and there's this giant eagle grocery store, which is one of our big. Uh, chains around here in Pennsylvania and you know they always block this one exit door (laughs) over by the dairy section and I get so annoyed with my wife about it and she can't stand it because I I can't turn off the safety eyes and you see employees uh, you know that'll develop that same kind of instinct almost where uh, you have an employee that really is eager to show you their workplace as you get to interview them and know them and uh, they can't help but spot something that's either wrong or uh, point out something to you that you wouldn't expect them to recognize. And so um, programs really aimed at employee knowledge is probably one of the biggest things uh, that I think make, make big change in an organization. Culture changes was one of the biggest things that you can, I think, do and see a big benefit from.
0: Definitely, I totally agree. Yeah, if you can change the culture and and get people to... You know, better identify, assess, and control hazards than that that reciprocal or not reciprocal it's residual, and that it it affects every hazard. You know, every day that that's fantastic.
1: So, and a lot of a lot of things to tie back to that too. A little bit is you know, uh, culture change is all about getting employees involved to feel like safety is an integral part from their job, part of their job, aside from just wearing their PPE and things like that, right? And one of the things that I always encourage a lot of organizations to do, uh, and it's a little tougher, right, because you need – employ people need to do their jobs, right? They need to do the job that they're assigned, that they're hired for, and have the time to get it done. But if you start to incorporate employee involvement and the things that you would wish, let's say, that your employees would be participating more in, into your actual written programs and policies and have, you know, the – leadership blessing from that to make sure that they're okay with with the resources, aka the time, that, that, that would need to be afforded to that. Um, that's how you really make a lot of change, in my opinion. And, and when you say something like, hey, we have an inspection program and chapter 14 of our manual, you know, lays out safety and health inspections and what's gonna be done in individual work areas and how often and et cetera, et cetera, right? Well, when you take that and you, you soften the language from Uh, Or you change the language maybe from, you know, a supervisor will do uh, a monthly safety and health inspection of the area using blah, blah, blah form or whatever to, uh, you know, a supervisor and a workplace employee will jointly complete the safety and health inspection of the work area every month. And so you start to almost require it, right? And and you integrate it within your processes. Um, A really good one I've seen was from the – I, I want to, I can't remember the names, so don't quote me off the top exactly, but um, I think Langley is the name of the NASA center or the NASA um, organization where we use an example of their JHA program, their job hazard analysis program. And one of the things that people, you know, anybody that's, that's real engaged in management systems and employee involvement will tell you is, is that it's a really good way to involve your employees is writing and reviewing JHAs. But you know, when you can not just make that a suggestion and turn it into our JHA program says specifically that employees will be the ones to draft JHAs. And the employees will develop that JHA on form X and then they will gain approval from the supervisor and the safety manager. You know, now you're starting to, to, you know, allow them to not only be more involved but require them to be more involved, right? To develop a a piece of something within the organization that's meant to keep them safe. those I think are usually a, a really big hit too when it comes to program development.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I like how you mentioned that as well. You know, with the with the military system safety, you know, a lot of times people don't know that, you know, the the concept of system safety was actually developed in the in the military.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. A lot of a lot of what we do, I think, in almost anything, not just safety, is has been at some point developed by the military. And, um, you know, there are a lot of people that will, I don't think a lot of people understand how how much more is required than, when, than in private industry when you talk about military organizations and bases and, and our federal work sites. And, uh, I mean, I learned so much in my position because uh, if there's an NFPA standard that says you have to do something, basically the Department of Defense says you have to do it. And so while you know private industry i mean hey nfpa standards you know aside from the life safety code or something like that you know people aren't really worrying about those they're worried about what osha says um there's a lot of what uh, what they do in the dod to set the the bar pretty high for um, safety now
0: yeah absolutely absolutely yeah the military has been a been a forerunner in a lot of things you know i think we talked about about this before you know um a lot of the research and work that i do is around situational awareness. And, you know, just the John Boyd's ODA loop, you know, the Observe, Orient, Decide, and Act that came from, you know, Air Force fighter pilots. And now it's used in everything from military operations all the way to law enforcement and emergency management. You know, so it's definitely a lot to be learned there. Um, and it's not necessarily all about fighting wars. You know, <laughs> it can be basic occupational safety, like you said.
1: That's what I, I don't think people will grasp too is you know they, they associate everything war or, you know with wartime with DoD and federal work sites and while everybody's mission in, in the end is ultimately to to support that, I don't think they understand that it's almost um, it's almost like a, an entire community it, tie, it ties well with the public sector when you think about um, you know what you know Stephen Guillory does for example, my assistant administrator, which um, you know, you work with, I mean, he's running safety for the city of Houston, and if I go to Hill Air Force Base, for example, there is a safety office that runs safety for a 22,000-person base that is an entire city. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not not quite as big as Houston, for example, but I, where I live in Johnstown, Pennsylvania is 20,000 people roughly, right? And so you're you're looking at an entire safety office for an entire city, and within that city comes – you know public works and utilities and all the things that that operate the base and uh, of course the health care clinic there so you have you know essentially al- almost like a hospital um you know from from that to you know things i mentioned like the logistics center where you have people doing aircraft and it's just it's it's a wide range of things and it's a wide range of of activities
0: yeah absolutely
1: um
0: yeah, on our, when I was deployed back in 2005 to 6, we had a, like you said, we had one NCO who was the safety officer for the base, and then I was the emergency manager for the base, so we worked in tandem the whole time, and um, in the military, the emergency management and safety are separated, but what I do now is pretty much um, very similar, except that I don't work for emergency management, um, but um, it's interesting you say that in terms of the the differences in military operations and occupational safety is one of the things that he was faced with at the time was a lot of the a lot of the troops they wanted to play soccer in the desert and so he went out and did a job safety analysis and we went out there and looked at this field and of course it's in the desert so there's sand everywhere and you know a lot of loose soil and nothing's real the only thing that's set in stone like literally set in stone is you know the airfield and where the where the tent city is and whatnot and so he wrote the JSA and gave it to the colonel, and unfortunately he had to deny it because he said it's, it's inevitable somebody's going to have a turned ankle or someone's going to fall and there's going to be something bad that's going to happen and that's going to make that person, um, you know, mission ineffective. And so he, the poor guy had to get up there and give a briefing to the entire wing and explain why they couldn't play soccer, you know. And <laughs> I he was going to get stuff thrown at him, but the colonel backed up. So it's good to have. Yeah.
1: To- that's an example of changing the culture negatively, right <laughs> that's that's an example of a dip in morale, right but <laughs> but that's uh it it comes with it it's it's funny' cause it ties you know if to tie to emergency management and your experience within the military, for example, um the highest number of injuries and illnesses in in terms of rates right in terms of you know case incidence rates and things like that is usually within the fire department, and when you look it up you know, in terms of NAICS codes and, you know, some of the highest NAICS codes that the BLS reports, it's usually, you know, the fire department's up there. And that's because they go out and they're required to do certain activities. And that's the difference, right? They're required to do uh, or maintain a level of activity to stay in physical fitness. And because they're required to do that, they do required physical fitness activities, right? Uh, And those are things like, uh, hey let's all go out and play some pickup basketball right to stay in shape or hey let's all go out and and then you get the guy that unfortunately you know jumps up the wrong way comes down and snaps an ankle and it ends up being uh you know not just in terms of military reportable in in the incidents we look at there but an actual OSHA recordable injury and illness because you were requiring that physical activity right and so I've been a lot of places where uh you know base commanders have had to you know, essentially create a list of things that are banned from doing <laughs> in your mandated physical fitness time, you know, and it usually has a crackdown on the fire department and the injuries and illnesses that they sustain trying to maintain a level of activity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the same type of thing was um, there was a situation where some of the some of the more unique um some Of the more unique units on the base, they were like the um para rescue and people that are very you know very specialized and highly trained. They were they were riding in the back of a um what are those vehicles called kind of like a John Deere Gator, like an all terrain vehicle, golf cart, but all terrain. Yeah, and of course, the the safe the safety NCO had to ask them to to not do that, you know, because they didn't have seat belts and there was a the chance they could get bounced out of it or something. And so these guys are, you know, of course they were saying, well, I get paid to jump out of airplanes and, you know, go under enemy fire and you're concerned about me running the back of a John Deere gator. And he said, well, here's the thing is, it's not going to go over well if you get hurt in the back of a John Deere gator and now you can't fly a mission, you know? So everything has a, has a time and a place. It's uh, it's usually up to safety to have to explain that though. Yep. Well, cool. That's a, yeah, great, great information. That's really interesting. Um, so to kind of tie it up. So with your public public sector practice specialty, well, there's a mouthful, public sector practice specialty. Um, you're doing a great job. I know we keep out with you all, all the time with the healthcare practice specialty and we coordinate a lot, of, a lot of webinars. So what are your goals going into the next year? What do y'all have going on and what are you trying to do?
1: Uh, I know my immediate goal was turn over to Stephen, <laughs> So Stephen becomes the new administrator on, um, you know, one July. And, you know, we have some things that, you know, we started under, um, you know, under this, this leadership here for the last two years, but um, some of them, I don't think we're going to be able to wrap up by then. Uh, some of that has to do with, of course, you know, being volunteers, personal time and, and what you have to have to give. And, Uh, some of it's coronavirus and directing a lot of the support and a lot of the information we provide there I think for a good six to eight months was nothing but you know trying to provide the most COVID information that we can to you know help people handle it you know in the workplace but um, you know some of the things we're working on uh, when that military practice specialty split out on its own of course we lost a lot of members in the public sector I think we were around Maybe even up upward upward in as high as 2,000 plus people, and a little over 50% of it was the military. So you know, then you got, you know, gradually over time as people's membership expires and they renew, they renew for the military, and so you move them over and you start to gradually dwindle down to a thousand to 900 to 850 to 800. So, uh, you know, a lot of what we focus on now is how do we expand and grow. Public sector employees and public sector safety professionals, um, and gather more people like that within uh, not just ASSP but the public sector practice specialty. And you know, maybe what are there groups that we're missing or things like that? So, we developed um, a membership retainment and improvement plan, is what we called it, where we're trying to focus on you know, coming up annually, really, with what are some new pockets of people that we could. you know deploy some sort of communication uh you know actions at to say hey uh you know here's who we are and how we can help you as a professional and what information you'll get by being a public sector practice specialty member um, and then of course how do we promote the public sector practice specialty right is there certain ways that we could communicate things or do things a couple of things back when i was assistant administrator under um lori shroth when she was the administrator was we started doing Uh, flyers for the safety conference annually uh, for safety 20, whatever, you know, Uh, a little more effective when they were still in person, right? But um, we would include, you know, hey, here's our our spy or safety professional of the year. Um, Here's our certificate recipient because we have a certificate out to a person on the committee um, that we thought had the the best uh, commitment to the committee and, and achieving things for what we wanted to do. Um, which help differ from the SPY because you know our SPY award can go to anybody within the public sector. It doesn't have to be a committee member. Um, you know we accept nominations from people outside of the committee um, that hopefully submit. Sometimes it's hard to get some, but um, submit some people that they know within the public sector. Um, you know look at some of the achievements some of the other people within the public sector have had. Uh, but then this this certificate is strictly for a committee member and their their commitment to the committee. So. Um, but we try to communicate those on the flyer, uh, communicate our activities, right? So you mentioned the webinars, the webinars that we hold throughout the year, uh, any other significant achievements, like if we publish articles, as so we wrap that all into a flyer that we were um, actually getting permission from ASP at the time to stick right at the registration desk and people could grab the flyer and see what things our practice specialty has done. Um, you know, different things like that to say, how can we communicate better? How can we... Um, showcase ourselves better and the committee member better uh, and the practice specialty overall better to get people more interested. Um, and so that was a big thing I think that that we're going to have to continue with, of course, as that grows um, under Stephen and whoever ends up elected here in the election that's currently going on uh, to serve as his assistant. Um, another big thing that um, that we were working on is Trying to provide uh, ASSP webinars, not just the the stuff that we do for the practice specialty, um, but the ASSP ones are typically a hot topic in safety that ASSP is actually willing to adopt and uh, you know go through the whole review. I mean, it's a much more substantial process than than our webinars that we just decide to you know present on the fly. Uh, people actually pay to attend those, you know, as part. It's, it's an addition to your membership. So. Uh, usually it's a pretty good topic, it's usually a pretty good speaker, and so we try to see if our, our committee has anybody that can present or knows anybody that can present a topic for that. Uh, and the important part of that is it allows public sector members to attend that webinar for free. So while you know the rest of ASSP may be paying 150 bucks or you know whatever it costs to attend that, that webinar and get the CEUs and, and learn something, public sector members get the CEUs and get to attend that for free, which I, I think is a big deal, um, as much as you can throw that stuff in there. Um, little harder, like I said. Though I mean, you got to have relevant topics. Um, when it comes to the public sector, of course, um, you have to find a way to, to generalize that topic enough to gain interest outside of just public sector people. But um, I think those were two of the biggest things. We always try to do an article um, at least once a year or once every other year, basically, you know, once once at least in an administration to. Uh, publish an article that's that's the efforts of a couple of committee members together to publish something on a relevant topic to the public sector. And we've published anywhere from, you know, professional safety to uh, public, risk, public risk magazine, um, even to um, what's the AIHA's publication? I always forget what the name of that one is. Tell me you know that one off the top, Corey. I
0: actually sure don't. I'm, I'm not a member of the. AIHA myself. Uh,
1: I'm not I'm not a member but they actually allow outside publications so um, but we have been published in what is it again AIJ. let me hear I have it in an email here I'm going to pull it up this is like Joe Rogan podcast type stuff here we're going to get this up <laughs> but uh the um let me look here Everything keeps reference in the article, the article, the article. It'll come to me. It'll come to me and I'll bring it up. Um, but we've been publishing that. So we try to get something that, you know, people can, uh, and, and what we do is we try to get a, we have a volunteer list too. And the volunteer list allows people that aren't necessarily part of the committee to basically opt in to me sending emails, um, same emails I send to the committee out to these people, and that includes, you know, hey, we're writing uh, an article on this, and people can essentially participate. And we try to post those things, of course, in the community and stuff, and that allows people outside of just our committee to help contribute to those articles. Um, And I think that can be career-changing a bit for some people that uh, may not have even written an article before. Uh, The Synergist, that's the name of it, The Synergist, okay. (laughs) Um, But yeah, those are just some of the things that we focused on. Uh, you know, within the public sector to help, I think provide value to our members.
0: Yeah, that's that's outstanding. Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned that. Um, I've done a lot of publications myself, and I haven't published with AIHA. Um, and that's actually been on my list for years, is to to do the CIH test, but I have not done that yet. So I got to kick myself. But um, yeah, the publications are fantastic, and. I can even put a plug in there myself is that we do the same with the healthcare practice specialty. Um, if anybody's interested in, in writing, definitely get in touch with Brandon, get in touch with me and, uh, we can definitely find a place to do that. We publish with a lot of different, um, forums, whether it be ASSP. Um, I do a lot with AOHP, National Safety Council and to do another plug, the healthcare practice specialty is actually rebooting our health beat publication as, an, as a self-publication. So we're gonna be redoing that and it's gonna come out for the first time next month. So we're gonna be doing articles from there as well. So if anybody's interested in that, definitely let us know. But um, Brandon, it's been great having you here. So to kind of close it up today, if you were talking to someone that comes up to you and says, you know, Brandon, I'm gonna go into safety, like if they're a college sophomore or a high school senior. And they said, I really think this safety thing is awesome. What, what, what advice would you give me? What, what would you
1: tell them about pursuing that career? Do it would be first off, right? Uh, and the reason is, um, I'm going to tie this back to the, probably the greater, the greater education concern in, in the United States today. But, um, you know, there's a big thing now with college and and is it even worth the cost, right? And, um, you know, the, the inflation of the prices and making sure that you do the right thing or, or end up in the right field and in a place where you can, pay back the outrageous debt that you're probably going to to have as a student, right? And safety is perfect for that because it is a humongous job market. There's so many different positions all the time available. Um, It was one of the things that actually sold me uh, when I went to IUP, I was actually in, um, I went to a completely different school to start to go for architecture. And safety was on the, that was like the number two choice. And so I fell back on it when I decided I didn't want to do architecture. But what sent me to IUP was um, the head of the department when I went to a, um, you know, one of those on-campus events where they're going to, you know, promote the program to you was our seniors are, we one, we have a uh, career fair just for the safety science department that Uh, Is larger than the entire career fair that IUP campus does by itself for every other, uh, you know, every other program combined. And we have a 99.5% job placement rate for our graduates. And I was mind blown. I was like, how can you guarantee that, you know, 99.5, 99 and a half students out of every 100, right, are going to end up with a job when they graduate? and uh and part of it's the career friend things they do but uh, the other part of it was the job market there's so many jobs and safety and and sometimes i think people look at it as you know safety means you do safety and one of the things i could tell anybody new is that you're not going to learn what you want to be within the realm of safety in college you're not even going to learn it in your first year of the job you're not going to learn it through your Life experience up to that point in your life, because there's so many things that you can do within safety. It's not just safety, um, and it's not just the expansion of that, which is you know industrial hygiene and environmental and emergency management and all the other things that um, you know safety people end up in somehow. But just the fields and and the place like when you grow up, and the normal working person, just thinking about where they live would never stop and think and say, I bet my county has a safety professional. (laughs) You know, I bet my my city has an entire team of safety professionals that work to keep the city safe. I mean, mean, it sounds like it, and sometimes public safety ties to that, um, but that's not something you think of, right? And and when you graduate as a safety professional, I mean, they teach you things like, you know, forklifts and construction and, and all these crazy things that there, there are things that you need to control risk for, but they don't ever really teach you where can I be a safety professional for? Who can I be a safety professional for? And I think that is almost nearly unlimited, and it's not even grown to the to the place that it, it's going to be one day. It's still growing. Um, so it's a good career move to make. Uh, it's a very diverse career move to be, and even though I think some people don't associate that with it, you know, I mean, healthcare safety, for example, it's just something that never clicks in your head that, hey, hospitals <laughs> have safety people, right? Um, it, it's obvious, it feels like, but it just doesn't click as, as a normal person, you know, when you're when you're not a safety professional. So um, there's just so many things that you can do, and all of them are unique and different. And if you ever felt bored in your life with, uh, you know, safety, you could switch it up and almost feel like you're doing something completely different.
0: Yeah, I, I totally hear you. You know, it's interesting that you say that. When when I was young, um, which it seems like a different lifetime ago now, um, I had actually um, graduated from college and my intention was to enlist in the military because cause 9-11 had happened while I was in college. And in the military was where I learned that people do what we do you know and so my original bachelor's degree was in communications and so after I was in the military I went and I got I got a master's degree in in safety and occupational health and that kind of led me to where I am now but like you said it's interesting because even having started in the military you know with that environment and then going into safety I went through construction manufacturing municipal and within municipal the first time i did public works parks and rec and library system then i went into healthcare, and now i'm where i want to be which is a combination of healthcare and public safety so it, it's really a trip how that works out i, I couldn't agree more <clears throat>
1: yeah absolutely
0: cool well it has been a great time talking to you today um we appreciate you being here and um like always if anybody's interested in getting in touch with you or with with Stephen with the public sector practice specialty definitely check them out they're on the ASSP site and all of their contact information is there uh, they got a lot of great opportunities and likewise if you're interested in talking to us about the healthcare practice specialty definitely please do that also uh, feel free to contact us at any time either through our contact information or on the ASSP communities boards we're all doing a lot of good stuff as far as publications, webinars. Um, podcasting, all kinds of things. So there's a lot of things to get involved in. And if you're interested, you can always find a home on the advisory board for both practice specialties. So with that, um, Brandon, do you have anything else you want to add before we sign off?
1: I do not, sir. I appreciate you having me here today. Uh, and I appreciate everybody that's that's going to listen attentiveness. And, uh, it, hey, I, I would encourage them. Like, this is the first podcast I've ever done. I listen to a ton of podcasts. Um, you know, so I would encourage anybody, especially because we we're probably going to get a large uh, you know, majority of safety professionals that you know feel free to reach out to Corey and come share your experience because I'm sure uh, you know somebody would like to hear it. And you know, even though this is the the Health Beat podcast and and this is going to be for the healthcare practice specialty, as I mentioned, I mean somebody might just decide one day based on maybe even what they listen to in the podcast that hey, maybe I don't want to be in healthcare anymore, right? Maybe maybe I want to move to construction or I want to move to oil and gas or I want to move to the public sector or I want to move to you know, something else within safety and be something else and do something else that's more interesting.
0: Definitely. Yeah. There's always options. It's a, it's a big world and a a huge career field. So yeah, it's always good to talk amongst ourselves and and learn more from each other for sure. So yeah, we we appreciate you being here and uh, we'll go ahead and call it a wrap, but we'll talk to everybody later. Thank you for joining.